This is Ergasia Digest, a weekly roundup of news from the world of faith, work, economics and theology, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. Hello and welcome to Ergasia Digest number 6 a regular roundup of news from the world of work, faith, theology and economics. My name is Brendan Byrne and I have the pleasure of being your host. Ergasia Digest acts as a supplement to regular episodes of Ergasia by highlighting news about work and economics and posing questions that tie these news items to considerations of faith and theology. It will not necessarily be the purpose of Ergasia Digest to supply or suggest answers to the questions which then arise, merely to provide food for thought for listeners' own reflection. And so, here is the news. Beginning in Australia and The Age newspaper reports that research conducted by the University of Sydney reveals endemic levels of sexual harassment and bullying within Australian workplaces, as well as cultures of gender-based discrimination that cause many women to delay or even forego having children in order to safeguard their career prospects. The research, a national survey of over 2,000 women and 500 men, revealed that 1 in 10 female respondents were victims of sexual harassment, while others were belittled or humiliated on a regular basis because of their appearance. Only 53% of female respondents expected conditions to improve over the course of the next decade, while a third expected things to stay the same. The survey also revealed wide disparities in attitudes between male and female respondents. 12% of male respondents believed that women were treated more favourably in the workplace, while only 3% of female respondents believed this was the case. Simultaneously, 25% of male respondents believed that men were treated better than women in the workplace, while 52% of female respondents said their male colleagues received more favourable treatment. Only 31% of female respondents said they believed women and men were treated equally at work, while nearly half of male respondents thought that equality existed in the workplace. Moving to Puerto Rico and BBC Capital reports that the US Territory, which is still struggling to recover from the devastating effects of 2017's Hurricane Maria because of inadequate aid support received from the US federal government, has become the target of so-called cryptocurrency entrepreneurs, who hope to use Bitcoin to establish a tax-free society for themselves while allegedly filling the aid gap for local Puerto Ricans. Critics allege, however, that the net result of this move will be a two-tiered society in which an exclusive cadre of foreigners create a Caribbean playground for themselves, while poor locals who lack both education in and access to cryptocurrency technologies are excluded from any benefits. The efforts of the cryptocurrency entrepreneurs to establish a society based on Bitcoin have been labelled by some observers as a new development in so-called crypto-colonialism. The term, which originally referred to the way in which countries like Greece and Thailand 
were effectively forced to surrender their national and cultural sovereignty in order to access economic aid, refers in the current context to the manner in which cabals of wealthy elites utilised decentralised, extra-legal and unregulated forms of wealth to establish tax havens at the expense of economically vulnerable communities. In Puerto Rico, for example, where many locals have now been without power for months on end, the offer of assistance via cryptocurrencies may appear to be the path to recovery. But the energy consumption involved in even the most basic crypto transactions far exceeds the capacity of disaster-struck economies and infrastructures to successfully manage, meaning the social, economic and environmental consequences for Puerto Rican communities could be disastrous. Meanwhile, in the United States, the Economic Policy Institute reports that the latest in a series of test cases that will determine the capacity of labor unions to collectively bargain with employers will be heard before the United States Supreme Court. The case, dubbed Janus versus the AFSCME, is the third case in the last five years to come before the Supreme Court, all of which have been funded by wealthy private foundations with links to the largest and most powerful corporate lobby groups in the nation. The case turns on the right of labour unions to collect so-called fair share fees from non-union employees. Under US labour laws, employees cannot be forced to be members of a union. However, members are required by those same laws to represent all employees within a workplace bargaining unit, regardless of whether or not they are union members. Consequently, non-union employees covered by union-negotiated agreements don't pay union dues. They pay a lower fair share fee that covers the union's basic industrial costs. The right of unions to collect such fees was upheld more than 40 years ago in the so-called Abood case, when the Supreme Court ruled that any violation of individuals' First Amendment rights was negated by the benefits obtained on their behalf by unions through the collective bargaining process. However, in the three recent cases, the private foundations representing the plaintiffs have all used legal manoeuvring to rush the cases through the court system so that they appear before the Supreme Court far sooner than would ordinarily be the case. Doing so deprives the unions responding to these lawsuits of the capacity to introduce evidence at an earlier trial stage that would demonstrate the necessity of collecting the fair share fees. This in turn enables the plaintiffs to rely solely on petitions and oral arguments without having to produce evidence, a process that significantly increases their chance of success. While none of the cases to date have resulted in the overturning of the Abood precedent, observers believe that the present case might just achieve this outcome. Returning to Australia, and the age reports that the Victorian government has proposed the biggest increase to minimum wage rates in eight years in order to address both growing inequality and stagnating wage rates. The proposal, made in the Victorian government's submission to the Fair Work Commission's annual wage review, calls for an increase to the minimum wage rate from $18.29 an hour to $19 an hour. This represents an increase of 3.3%, or 71 cents an hour. In making the submission, the Victorian government has also called on the Fair Work Commission to be given extra resources 
to help it tackle wage exploitation of vulnerable workers. The submission argues that there is systemic underpayment of wages and other employment entitlements, with international students and foreign workers being especially vulnerable to exploitation. According to the report, Victoria's Industrial Relations Minister Natalie Hutchins argues that increasing the minimum wage would help address the issue of gender equality as well as the disadvantage suffered by disabled, indigenous and older workers as well as employees in the low-paid retail, hospitality and cleaning sectors. Remaining in Victoria, and The Age reports that the Victorian Human Rights Commission has issued a scathing assessment of a proposed enterprise bargaining agreement covering the Metropolitan Fire Brigade, which it says entrenches a culture of hyper-masculinity that fosters sexism, bullying, harassment and discrimination. The proposed agreement, which is supported by the Victorian Government and the United Firefighters Union, was similarly supported by the board of the MFB after being urged to do so by Victorian Emergency Services Minister James Merlino. As a result, the president of the MFB board resigned in protest. The report states that of particular concern to the Human Rights Commission were so-called consult and agree clauses that require MFB management to seek union approval before undertaking disciplinary action or implementing policies that would improve workplace safety and diversity. The Commission's concerns came after interviews with over 150 employees across all fire services, which uncovered chronic underreporting of bullying and harassment, with 44% of those interviewed also reporting instances of discrimination. Head of the UFU, Peter Marshall, has dismissed the Commission's report as fundamentally flawed and biased. Finally, an op-ed in The Conversation declares that recent comments by Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe that a real source of worker discontent was their unwillingness to ask for higher wages overlooks the fact that one of the keys to successfully negotiating wage increases is the perceived value and scarcity of workers' skills. Those workers with skills regarded as scarce or valuable had the power to negotiate wage increases whereas it would be unrealistic to expect that a student working a casual job or a semi-skilled factory worker would have the kind of bargaining power that enabled them to negotiate a wage increase. The article also notes that Lowe's assertion that the low unemployment rate should encourage workers to seek higher wages also ignores the fact that unemployment is unevenly distributed across industry sectors. Without access to information about where skills demand exists on a sector-by-sector basis, workers are not in a position to negotiate from a position of strength. Moreover, gender stereotyping means that many women are disadvantaged when asking for wage rises because doing so violates perceptions that they should display warmth and concern in the workplace rather than assert their right to appropriate remuneration. What theological questions arise from this roundup of news from the world of economy and work? The prophetic tradition within the Hebrew scriptures strongly critiques 
those social, economic and political structures that victimize the helpless and reduce the powerless to dependency. The prophet Isaiah declares, Woe to you who join house to house, who add field to field until there is room for no one but you, and you are left to live alone in the midst of the land. Likewise, Isaiah demands, Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Similar sentiments are expressed by the prophets Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, Micah and Jeremiah, among others. This condemnation does not serve some bland notion of equality, neither is it an expression of envy for the material or monetary wealth of the well-to-do. The prophets were neither levellers seeking to reduce everyone to the same financial and economic estate, nor did they want to replace anyone else's privilege with their own. Rather, they were concerned with covenant, with the network of human relationships that were based not on power or patronage, but on the inherent dignity of every human person. Civil, social, economic and political institutions were at the service of this dignity, not vice versa, and when they ceased being so, critique was required to call attention to their proper purpose and return them to their proper function. In light of this, what questions arise from the news we have just heard? What purpose is being served when politicians, unions, corporations, wealthy elites and the possessors and controllers of technology impose impoverishment, powerlessness or cultures of abuse upon others? Who or what is being served when critics or social institutions designed to safeguard the welfare of the vulnerable are silenced or undermined? What model or understanding of the human person is being promoted by social, economic or institutional structures that discriminate on the basis of gender or which perpetuate stereotypes about expected behaviours based on gender? Is it covenant, the interrelationship of human dignity, or is it something else? With those questions to ponder, we come to the end of Ergasia Digest number 6. I hope to have the pleasure of your company in future. For more information, visit the website at www.ergasia.podbean.com. I'm your host, Brendan Byrne. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to Ergasia Digest, a weekly roundup of news from the world of faith, work, economics and theology. For more information, please go to www.ergasia.podbean.com.